right. Thank you so much, Robin. And by the way, I can, I'm, I'm watching some, some of the time I was watching and looking on the screen and I can just hear your guys' voices. Believe it or not, I, could, I couldn't hear them, but I could hear them. I could just sense us singing all together. That was just so wonderful. Uh, we're going to sing a few more songs at the end of our uh, service as well. So let me pray and we're going to jump right into God's word and uh, kind of talk about what he has, to, has for us this morning. So Father God, thank you for this time where we were able to worship you. Um, we are the church, even though we're not gathered together uh, physically, we are gathered together in our hearts and by your Holy Spirit. So we pray, God, as we look at your word right now, your, your Holy Spirit would lead us and would guide us and just truly show us who you are. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to change the view on my thing, by the way. Okay, God, now I see a whole bunch of you. Awesome. Now that I feel like I'm preaching to the crowd now. Fantastic. All right. Well, we're going to look at some, an interesting story this morning that in my mind really is a powerful uh, Easter story. But first I want, to, I want to say, but you know, I can't really afford to do it, but as often as I would like to. But one thing I love to do, and I know some of you can relate, I love to go out to eat. I really do. I love going out to eat. Now, when it comes to breakfast, though, I'm really, I can get pretty picky when it comes to breakfast. When I go out for breakfast, there's only a few places that really do it for me that I really enjoy what they're making. And my all-time favorite place for breakfast is a place in Redondo Beach where my wife and I uh, used to live. It's called Eat at Joe's, okay? It's called Eat at Joe's. It's this rather iconic place. You're seeing the plate right there. This is my favorite breakfast. This is, it's on Pacific Coast Highway. It's this funky, beachy, super casual, greasy spoon that you sit at tables with all these other people, these strangers, and this is their signature plate. This is called, believe it or not, the John Wayne Special. I don't know why it's called that, but it is. It's two eggs over medium with cheese on home fries, a corn tortilla smothered in secret Spanish sauce and embedded with sausage patties. Oh my goodness, that is truly amazing. It is a wonderful, wonderful breakfast. And I gotta tell you, while I'm eating, enjoying that delicious John Wayne special in that, that chill, that beachy little establishment in that, in that setting, when I'm, especially also when I'm with my wife or with some special friends or things like that, no matter what's going on in my life, really, no matter what's going on, whether I'm feeling unmotivated or I'm in some sort of a rut, I some way am transformed into and this a transformation occurs in my life where I'm able to feel like a little bit more lighthearted. That is how good this breakfast is. It is so good. That's what it does. It truly is comfort food. It really is. And it really takes me to a different place. Now, in this morning's passage, we're going to look at a handful of guys who are unmotivated, unmotivated, they're actually a bit, they're a bit beat up from life a little bit, and they're kind of stuck in a rut. But as we're going to see, their lives are going to be transformed, and, and not just for a brief period of time, but really forever. And it starts with this good and wonderful breakfast. Really, by the time this breakfast, by the time this is all over, these guys are going to have a new sense of freedom, motivation, and purpose. 
Have you ever, I just want to ask you, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, like you're in a place where you realize that you're not where you would like to be in your spiritual journey? You're thinking, man, I wish I was more mature. I wish I had further along. Maybe you're, you're stuck in what seems like the same old rut of not progressing in your spiritual maturity or your, your faith uh, seems maybe to be, to be stale. Maybe the same old sins have a grip on you. You know, reading the Bible or praying are either an occasional occurrence or you're, you've stopped making them a priority altogether. You've, you've lost that vibrancy of your faith, maybe. Your spiritual life has a, it has a pulse, but it's really, really faint. Or maybe you're just someone that really simply is in a place where you desire to move forward in your spiritual journey. You're saying, I want to grow. I want more. I want to go deeper. Maybe that's you. Yet really, you're not sure exactly how to do so with clarity. Well, here's the good news. The good news is that we're going to see this morning, and this passage is that it's precisely in these times of spiritual, call them disillusionment or confusion, whatever you want to call it, that we're able to discover and rediscover who Jesus truly is and really a renewed sense, have a renewed sense of his amazing, wonderful grace. And then what happens when we do that and how that in turn gives us tremendous hope for mode and motivation for moving forward with clarity in our spiritual journey. This truly is, we're going to see what these guys truly is a real Easter story. So let's, let's, let's begin. Let's look at this. Let's start. We're going to be in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And we're going to start with verse one. Let's read the couple, first couple verses. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but, they, but that night they caught nothing. So here we have some of, the, some of the disciples who have made their way back to Galilee, just as Jesus had told them to do. Now Jesus has risen, okay, this is after his resurrection. He's risen from the dead, and he's actually appeared to them two other times. Once he appeared to them on Resurrection Sunday. Remember that? In the upper room, he appeared to them. And then again, he appeared to them in that same upper room. This time, Thomas was there. Remember doubting Thomas? This time, that's when he sees him. He comes again. Now, today, what they're dealing with is they're really not sure what Jesus's resurrection really means for them and really for the world. They haven't really grasped what this is all about. They're not, they're not even sure what to do next. What, what do we do now? Okay, he's back. What, what do we do? I'm sure they're excited that Jesus is alive, but they're probably, if you think about it, they're probably also experiencing feelings that come along with the recent memories of their failings and their shortcomings as Jesus' followers. Remember, they had fled. They had fled from him and when the pressure was on. They even, Peter even denied that he knew him. So how do you move forward? How do you move forward when you have either blown it or maybe you're just stuck in a rut spiritually or you just, you just want to move? You just want to move forward. How do you find the clarity to do that? How do you find clarity to do that with confidence? 
Well, oftentimes we do what the disciples decided to do. We go back to what's familiar. We go back to what's comfortable. Hey, this is what worked for me before. This is the quiet time. This is the way I used to do it before. But what happens a lot of times is that still leads us to staying stuck and not moving forward. Now, these guys, they were fishermen. They were fishermen by trade. It's what they knew. It's what they were comfortable with. It's something that they could control because they could control the outcome a lot of times of how they would feel if they knew if they would catch fish. So they're thinking maybe, just maybe, catching some fish is what they needed to give them some clarity. Yeah, obviously what we see here, if they were hoping to get some clarity from a successful night of fishing, they were going to be sorely disappointed because in what we've seen, what, they, what seems to be adding insult to injury is here, they catch nothing. <laughs> they go, professional fishermen, they catch nothing. So their attempt at finding some clarity in this, what they thought was familiar, bombed. So let's look what happens next. Look what happens here. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this. Just as the day, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it, was, that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. So what do we have happening here? The, we have this guy from the shore yelling at them, hey, you got anything? Now, the last thing these guys probably wanted to hear is from some guy on the shore who they didn't even recognize who he was asking him if they caught any fish. That's the last thing that they wanted. And, and why is, first of all, why is Jesus asking? He knows, he knows that they haven't caught anything. I think what Jesus is doing here, he seems to be calling attention to the failure, their failure to, failure to find clarity in what is familiar or comfortable, comfortable. There's something I think that he really wants them to understand about what life is now going to be like with the resurrected Savior. It's going to be different now. You can't go back to the same old ways. Look what Jesus says. He continues in verse 6, continues to address them. He says this, and he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to, now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came, to the, in the front of the, in, in, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. Okay, so whether, whether it's due to this stranger's voice, maybe there was a certainty or this calmness or authority in his voice. Remember, they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. But for some reason, they obeyed his request and they cast their net on the other side of the boat. And lo and behold, what happens? They get so many fish that they can't haul them into the boat. Now, something must have jarred in John's memory. John is the one who's the, the disciple that Jesus loved there. That's how he described himself. He says, something must have jarred in his memory from a few years ago. Remember what had happened a few years ago when Jesus first called these men? Remember what he told them after a long night of fishing and catching nothing? They were coming back. They were bringing in their nets. They're tired, want to go get something to eat. And Jesus said, go again. Throw it, just throw it on the other side. See what, ha see what happens. Just do it. And remember, they hauled in so many fish 
that the net was about to break. They, could, they couldn't even haul it into the boat. So John, so we see here in this story here, John looks at Peter and said, oh my gosh, it's the Lord. That is the Lord. And classic Peter, I love this. Classic Peter, what does he do? He puts on his clothes because he's pretty much naked. He puts on his clothes. I don't know why he would do that. Jumps in the water and swims about 100 yards to shore, leaving the other disciples to drag in the nets full of fish for themselves. So look, look, look at what happens now. This look what happens when he gets to the shore. He says, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. All right, so we see here that Jesus is preparing for them a nice, warm breakfast. He's getting things ready for them, okay? Remember now, these are the very guys who disowned Jesus in his greatest time of need. Yet, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's showing him their lo his love for them and how much he values them by making them this very nice, wonderful breakfast. Um, maybe it was the first version of the John Wayne special. I don't know. But he's getting them. He's just showing them how much he cares for them. Now, Jesus goes on to request that they haul in, in the net full of fish. And notice that he specifically mentions there's 153 fish in that net. Large fish, John mentions. Now, People, what does that mean? What does all that mean? You know what it means? There was a lot of fish. <laughs> there was a lot of fish. An amazing catch. An amount that it should have broken the nets. The nets should have snapped because of that. But they didn't. And then we see that Jesus goes on and he serves them breakfast. You know what? This, this is a story of, of amazing grace. That's what this, this story is. It's, it's, it's of undeserved, of unmerited favor. It's the same favor and grace that's lavished on us today. The story tells us that when we need clarity in order to move forward in our relationship with Jesus, when we, when we feel stuck because of maybe habitual sin or failure to be obedient, when we've become maybe lackluster or, or lazy in our pursuit of intimacy with God, what this story tells us is that when, when we're experiencing these things, when we're feeling this way, Jesus is lovingly waiting for us with open arms. He sees us out on the lake. He sees us out there trying to find clarity. He sees us trying to do things our way of maybe, maybe this will work. He sees our inadequacies and our feeble attempts at spirituality. You see, when we need the strength and the clarity to move forward in our relationship with Jesus, clarity to become really the disciples that we know we can and want to be, which really is someone who is increasingly bringing all of life under the submission and lordship of Jesus. This, this is when, this is when we need to remind ourselves, and we're wanting that so bad, but we're failing at it. We need to remind ourselves of his grace, that his undeserved, 
his amazing unmerited love and favor for us is immeasurable. And it's waiting to be poured out on us. My friends, breakfast is always ready and waiting. It's always ready. It's always a new day. Always a fresh start with Jesus. We know that says his mercies are new every morning. So what this means is jump out of your boat. He's saying, get out of the boat. Swim to Jesus and know that he is preparing a nice, warm, inviting breakfast for you. Jesus longs to show us, to show you, to show me how much he loves us, how much he is for us, no matter what. This is why he died for us. What an amazing message. What a a wonderful thing his grace is. This is the motivating factor for us. Now, we don't know. Here's the interesting. We don't know what they talked about. Wouldn't it have been interesting to be a fly on the wall at that breakfast, sitting around there, sitting on that beach there? Maybe they joked around a little bit about how, you know, Peter put on his coat and jumped into the water and how weird that seemed to them. I don't know, maybe there was this awkwardness because they know what's going on. What is this? What's going on? We're just not told. We're not told what's going on. Yet we do know that there was an unresolved issue between Peter and Jesus. There had to be some awkwardness. There had to be a sense when, Jesus, when Peter came to the shore, that sense of oh, kicking the ground, just kind of weird a little bit. Peter, Peter knew that he had failed Jesus miserably. He was broken, yet he was in the very place that he needed to be. He was in a place of helplessness. He wasn't capable of making things right between him and his friend Jesus. He had no excuses to offer for his behavior. He only had himself to blame. And really it's in that place of helplessness where God's amazing grace can work the best. And we're gonna see it right now, how it works in his life. Look at verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will, be, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying all this, he said to him, Peter, follow me. Now, why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus ask Peter three times if he loves him? Is, I mean, is he testing him to see, does he truly love him? Remember, Peter had boasted. Remember what he had said that even if all others fall away, if all others abandon you, Jesus, I'll never will. I'm never going to abandon you. Yeah, that's exactly what Peter did. 
See, Jesus seems to be reminding Peter of, ex of his extreme failure, almost rubbing it in. But that's not what Jesus is doing at all here. He's actually helping Peter to rewrite the script that Peter has written for himself, that he plays over and over and over in his head, that he's a failure, that he's no longer useful to Jesus, that his word is worth nothing, that he's a wimp when it comes to pressure. You see, Jesus... You see, just as Peter, I'm sorry, just as Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus is now giving Peter the opportunity to declare his love and devotion for Peter three times. To let Jesus know that he's broken and has nothing to boast about. To let Jesus know that even though he messed up royally, that he loves Jesus. Jesus is offering Peter a new beginning here. What he's doing is giving him a new script to be playing over in his head. One that says, Peter, no matter what you've done, you are useful to me. No matter what you've done, you are of value to me. This, my friends, is the power of the resurrected Jesus. To take our failures... Even, even if we don't feel like we failed miserably, our, our lack of pursuing God, our, our, our lack of putting him on the throne of our life, our lack of allowing, putting everything under his authority and allowing our lives to be lived according to that truth. He says, because of my death and resurrection, I'm alive. You have the power now to be useful. You are, and you are, I see you as useful. I love you. And with that very saying those things to Peter, he says, now follow me. I, could you just imagine Peter? Like, oh my gosh, the freedom that Peter had. You see, when we need clarity in order to move forward in our walk with Jesus, he invites us to receive his amazing grace. And it's in receiving this amazing grace that we come to realize how much he longs to use us as a valued participant in his plan for the world. Every one of us. It's by grace alone we have been saved. We know that. But it's also by grace that we walk with Jesus as his disciple. It's by grace that we get up. It's by grace that we can even move forward in our relationship with Jesus. And this is exactly the precisely what drove Peter to become really the driving force in the formation of the early church, to have this profound impact for the kingdom that he had. I mean, sure, Peter might have gone on to, to serve Jesus if they never had this conversation. He might have gone on to serve Jesus and, and even have a big impact. He could have still done that. Yet it most likely would have been done with a lingering sense of, of failure and guilt. And really what would have happened is Peter's service to the Lord would have likely been motivated not out of grace, but out of a need to continually prove himself, to prove that he is worthy, that I'm not a mess up, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to show you how hard I'm going to work. I'm going to get straight A's. I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to prove to you that I'm worthy. I'm proved to you I'm worthy of your love. I'm proved to you that I'm worthy to be used by you in making a difference for the kingdom. But he didn't have to do that. He had nothing to prove, nothing to prove. 
The reason Peter had such an impact on the kingdom and a motivation to pursue wholehearted service to and with intimacy with Jesus was because of the tremendous freedom he felt because of the grace that was extended to him. Jesus didn't say, go memorize more of the Torah. Go do this. He said, I love you. I died for you. I'm alive now. You're going to live in me. So how do we get to this place? How do we get to the place where we're able to allow this grace? Because you might be saying, oh, that's great. that's great, Rob. God's grace. But how do we get to a place where we allow God's grace to give us the motivation to move forward in our spiritual journey with clarity? Well, it begins, first and foremost, it begins by owning up to our own shortcomings and our failures and repenting. We've talked about what repenting means. Remember, repenting is doing a spiritual about face. It, it, it says, I know where I've messed up. I know, I admit that I've done that. It means turning these shortcomings and these failures over to Jesus, saying, they're yours. you know them. I'm not going to hide them. Here they are. It means jumping out of the boat. It means swimming to the shore to Jesus. Say, I've made a mistake. Now I'm coming to you. I'm going to make the effort to go to you. I'm going to swim to the shore. And I'm not going to swim to the shore so I can prove to you how much I love you. I can, so I can go and start doing good things for you. No, I'm going to go to the shore so I can receive your grace. I can receive this overwhelming forgiveness, mercy, and grace that you're just ready to dump out on me. You see, unlike that John Wayne special that really offered only me a temporary escape to me from my difficult life or whatever was going on in my life, the realities, the, the difference is we have the promise of a Savior that will unconditionally love us and accept us and continually shower us with his perfect and undeserved grace as we simply admit our shortcomings and our failures and follow, and follow him. Because he rose from the dead and is alive today, you and I are invited every day to breakfast with Jesus. Every day, breakfast with Jesus. We're invited to a fresh start in moving forward with clarity in our relationship with him. Won't you do that today? No matter where you are, will you do that today? I have an assignment for you, actually, this next week. Try to remember, when you sit down for breakfast, try to remember this, that you're having breakfast with Jesus. It's a fresh start. It's a new day. That you're loved. You're valuable. You're needed for the work of the kingdom because of he's alive today. If that's what you desire this morning, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna spend some time a little bit in prayer here. If it's your desire to move forward with clarity because of God's tremendous grace, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like everybody just to close your eyes. And I'd like you to, in your heart, if this is what you would like to pray, I'd like you to pray this prayer. Jesus, I first want to acknowledge that I'm not where I want to be in my spiritual journey. I've allowed myself to come stuck in a rut, not pursuing deeper intimacy with you due to my sin, 
laziness or allowing myself to play over and over a negative script due to the consequences of my disobedience. I long for a deeper walk with you. I come to you now owning up to my shortcomings and failures, admitting my feeble attempts to find clarity in what is familiar or comfortable to me. I receive now your unconditional and unmerited forgiveness and grace. Help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in obedience because of this grace. Thank you for your unconditional love for me. I love you, Lord, and I'm thankful that I'm useful to you and a value participant in your plan for the world. Amen. Now, I don't want to take it for granted that everybody that is watching this um, has, said, has ever wanted to even, has even thought about praying a kind of prayer like that. If you've never earnestly told God that you loved him, that you love him, this is a perfect time to do that, to receive that grace and that mercy for the first time. You can do that. And you can know that your, your sins are forgiven. If you never entered into relationship with God through Jesus, you can know that your sins are forgiven and you can accept God's mercy and his grace. If that's something that you would like to do right now, you can pray this in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, you know all things. You know I have failed. I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I believe that you died to take away my sins. I believe you died and rose from the dead. I want to accept the grace you offer me. I turn from my ways I have been living and invite you into my life. I accept you into my life, Jesus, as my personal Savior. I thank you for forgiving all my sins at the cross. I look forward to a relationship with you now and forever in heaven. I want to serve you and follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you prayed any one of those prayers, a couple things. First of all, you need to tell somebody. You can't, this, this journey of walking with Jesus is not something that we do alone. We need to be in relationship. We need to do that with others. So I would encourage you to, you can call me. Please do that. Get a hold of me. If you don't know my number or my, uh, or my email, go to our website at coastsidechurch.org and just find my email there, contact, contact someone else that you know is a follower of Jesus in your small groups this week. If you prayed that, if you wanted, you wanted, you wanted to know that you would, not that you are receiving Christ for this first time, but you wanted to be able to move forward in maturity and you're asking God to do that, tell your group, please do that. Let them rally behind you in that. That is such a good thing to do. This is a great day. This is a great day to celebrate because Jesus is alive and offers us grace every single morning. Well, I'd like to move us into a, a time of communion now. If you, if you need to go ahead and collect uh, the, a juicer and some bread, go ahead and do that, and um, we'll do that in just a second here. If you don't have it with you, that's fine. Just do a along with us. Now, is it, uh, it's so wonderful to think of Friday, back on Friday when we when talked about how Jesus gave his life and how he gave his body willingly, willingly for us. 
That's what the bread represents. Because remember when they were up in there having that meal, he was having that meal with his disciples up in that upper room. The scriptures tell us that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Scriptures tell us that in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said this, this is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Afterwards, he said, as often as you eat this bread, and drink this bread, you blood, this cup, I'm sorry, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing. We're proclaiming and taking communion that we know that Jesus died, rose again. We are living for him and we can't wait for him to come back. Father God, thank you so much for what this day represents. We thank you for sending your son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin to allow us to experience the kingdom of God here and now. What an incredible thing, God. We thank you so much. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so, so thankful that, Jesus, you are alive right now. And in a, in a very real sense, every day, you're waiting for us with a nice, warm, wonderful breakfast that is a bowl full of grace. May we come to that regularly. May we come to you. May we allow that grace to be the very thing that motivates us, stimulates us, excites us to want to move forward with you. Not our, not our need to prove anything, but may your grace be the motivating factor for us moving forward with you. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to sing a few more songs, and then I'll give a few words after we sing a few. Wow, I love that. Loved having the family on there. Thanks, thanks, Robin, that was great. Hey, everybody, enjoy the rest of this day. Remember, remind yourself that God's grace is just flowing towards you. Ready, jump out of the boat, swim to him, admit your need for him, and receive his goodness and his grace. Let that motivate you to move forward with clarity with him. Have a great day, everybody. If you want to hang around for a little bit, I think Scott's going to unmute everybody. If you, you can leave if you want, you can hang out for a little while and go ahead and say hi to one another. But have a great day, everybody. Yeah,